Hey, this is Dave Pryor from Leading Agile Sound Notes. On Tuesday, September 25th at 7 p.m., Mike Kottmeyer and I are going to do a live event on Facebook. We're going to be doing a podcast and answering questions that you send in. So if you'd like to check it out, please pay attention to our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash leadingagile. And if you have questions you'd like us to answer, you can post them to the Facebook page or you can email them to me directly at dave.prior, that's P-R-I-O-R, at leadingagile.com. Thanks. See you on Tuesday at 7 p.m. Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. It's Labor Day morning, very early in the morning. Mike Kottmeyer is back from his weekend of football, watching, not playing. And we're going to be recording a podcast talking about something that Martin Fowler posted uh, recently. On August 25th, he posted the contents of his keynote at Agile Australia. It's called The State of Agile Software in 2018. And what we're going to focus on today uh, is one particular aspect of, of this presentation, we're going to focus on the Agile Industrial Complex and the idea of imposing practices on teams. Um, so we're going to talk through some of that. Mike's got some strong feelings about it. I'm going to try to play devil's advocate as we go through it. Mike, thank you for taking time out of your holiday. Yeah. So so first question is, like, whose idea was this to do this on Labor Day morning? It's the only it time. It's, it was mine because I have to get on a plane. I don't actually take thank Labor you. Day off. <laughs> I was like, I was getting up this morning, and I was like, whose idea was this? Yeah, this it, was, it was mine. Well, thank you for getting up early. Um, You're very welcome, man. Happy to be here. All right, so so Martin Fowler posted this this keynote, and there were three yeah. things. I'm going to mention the three things he called out, and then we're going to lock in on the, the first one. So yeah. there were three main topics in his presentation, and one was – uh, the idea that we should get rid of the agile industrial complex and the idea of imposing stuff on teams. And these are his words. The second one was raise the importance of technical excellence. And the third was, which is something that's kind of common refrain right now is organize around products. So people moving yeah. more product development instead of projects. Um, yeah. but let's talk about the first one. When I first started looking at this, there were two things that stuck out to me that I didn't quite get. Getting mm -hmm. my head around the idea of an agile industrial complex. That was one. And yeah. then later on, he talks about post-Agile. And I was like, what the hell is that? Um, yeah. But let's talk about what. how would you define the Agile Industrial Complex? Yeah, you know, it's interesting, man. It's like when I read it, first of all, I'd like to go on record saying I, I agree with the, the article, right? So this isn't like a counterpoint to the article, but it's like I wanted just to explore it. I thought about sitting down and trying to write a blog post, but my brain was firing in like a thousand different directions. So I thought it might be more fun for just you and I to get on the phone and sure. just talk about it a little bit, right? So, so I, I think what we're talking about when we talk about the agile industrial complex, right, is, is the machine of training and consultancy that is focused on helping companies do agile, right? So I'd say Scrum Alliance is part of the agile industrial complex and scale agile framework is part of the agile industrial complex. And probably, you know, Martin might look at leading agile as part of the agile industrial complex and all that kind of stuff. Right. So, so, um, so like when we talk about like getting rid of it, right, obviously I don't want to get rid of us, right? So maybe like what we can try to do is unpack a little bit about like why the Agile Industrial Complex is, is a problem. So before you before you go into this yeah. part, is it is – it, I'm going to try to define it for myself. So this yeah, would sure. be anybody who's making money off of transforming organizations or teaching Agile that it's probably more than one person. So it's a company of some kind. And and it goes sort of towards that idea of commoditizing 
or prepackaging what we're doing. So you can just go go down to the warehouse and pick up a box of Agile. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting, right? So I, I think that the, the the two kind of clauses within that first bullet point are kind of related, right? So get rid of the Agile industrial complex and the idea of imposing stuff on teams. And, you know, I, I hear this refrain quite a bit, right? And like my my gut reaction you know, maybe, maybe even as a business owner and as an entrepreneur, right? So my gut reaction is like, if we say we're not going to impose stuff on teams, what are we fundamentally saying? Are we saying that like teams should just show up and just do whatever they want? Right. Um, does that mean that we don't give people any guidance on how to proceed? You know, as a, as a consultancy, can we not have a methodology or approach or some standard way of engaging, right? Are we really suggesting that, um, that, that like literally teams maybe who, who don't deeply understand systems or methodology or interactions at scale, are we really suggesting that we should just let them reinvent it? But don't you right, think so, if so, you're very yeah. theory why and mm -hmm. you really believe in the power of people and that they'll do the right thing, that they'll find their own truth and they'll find their own way to excellence if you give them whatever they need. I mean, that is a very I can't get there in my head, but I know there's people that live in that world. Well, well, yes, yeah, so true. Right. But but at the end of the day, you know what, what I think most human beings do, and this could like totally fork our conversation. So I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to trust you. that You're going to let me just go off fork it a up, little man. bit and then we're going to pull it right back. OK, but it's like I think I think even like every aspect of life, right, in our families and society and politics and religion and methodology at work, I think we tend to locally optimize. Yeah. Right. So I think individuals, you know, it's like you only got like so much capacity and you come in and you try to solve your local problem the way the best you can. And and so like so the way where I think about it is I go, OK, well, if I know this about human beings, <clears throat> I have to put people into the best possible system so that when they locally optimize, they're actually doing something that's healthy for the overall whole and for the overall system. Okay. And I think we've gotten this, <clears throat> this, like this local organization empowering locally confused with um, empowering large groups of people to define the system of interaction. And that's probably where like I might part ways with, the um, the idea of imposing stuff on teams it's like it's like I don't think that we should tell teams that they have to do a 15 minute daily stand up every single day and they have to just do it because Scrum says so. Um, I don't believe that we should mandate that this is the way we do retrospectives here. Right. Right. I don't think we should tell teams like how to build um, something in the backlog. I think they should be able to self organize around that. Like, I don't think we necessarily have to tell teams to use TDD or BDD or, or whatever, right? <clears throat> I think, but I do believe that we should put people in a context, a team-based context, and hold them accountable for delivering something of measurable value every couple of weeks. Well, all right. I know where you're is going with this. Of, is that an imposition of stuff on teams? Well, hold on. Bef know, right? Before I, yeah. before we go into that, I want to back up a little bit. So 
I'm I'm the president of a massive global organization, and I want Agile. And mm-hmm. if my two choices are, oh, just buy them whatever stuff they want and let them find their own truth and figure it out, or go get that guy and his people because they've already figured out how to do this and have them come in and make our people do what they do. I mean, that seems like a no-brainer to me. If I want this up and running fast, I don't have time for your organic journey. I need this put in right now. I mean, they don't let new doctors go figure out illnesses all over again either. We give them a book and say, this is how this stuff works. Well, here, here's, an, here's like an interesting point, right? <clears throat> and this, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, gets to the point of what um, Martin Fowler was, was trying to talk about. Um, you know, you and I have discussed this. We might have even discussed it in a previous podcast, this idea. Um, you know, it's, comes, it's in my head from a conversation I had with Alistair Coburn maybe 10 years ago or something. And he said something to me to the effect of, um, you know, the software industry has to relearn everything every 20 years. And, and, you know, I feel really fortunate. Like when I got involved in Agile back in 2002, 2003, you know, and I, I was going through and I was reading like everything. I mean, there was still the legacy rough stuff that was really being written about at that time. Um, agility and discipline and, you know, the, um, you know, the early Kent Beck stuff, the early Poppendick stuff, the early Coburn stuff, the Highsmith stuff, right? Uh, David Anderson's early work, right? Like all these thinkers are out there publishing these books. And what was neat about the books is they weren't really telling you how to do things. They were telling you how to think about doing things. And, and they were really focusing on the patterns in the interactions and the models and, and what it looked like. And probably like the first book I ever read that said this is kind of how you do things was maybe Mike Cohn's Agile Estimating and Planning that was a little bit more prescriptive in terms of like, okay, here's a how-to book sure. to kind of do it. Um, <clears throat> the way that I think our industry has evolved is, is it's everything's how-to, right? So everything is – like this is this is safe training and this is this is scrum training and this is because people want the easy answer training, they right? don't want to figure out the thing well, that's already been pioneered well well yeah right so but i think it's i don't think it's is is nefarious is that right um as we get further and further away from the original thinking right it starts to get reduced down into a rule set um and so so what we had early on is we had you know, patterns for creating small teams, patterns for organizing backlogs, patterns for getting to um, a definition of done at the end of every time box. We had the manifesto, right? We had, we had lean principles. We had, you know, the idea of flow, like, I mean, all these different things. <clears throat> and then what happens is that over time, it gets codified into, this is the role of a scrum master. This is the role of a product owner. This is how you do a daily stand-up. This is how you do a review and retrospective. And so as people get introduced to it, right, that's what they get told is the truth. Right. Um, and like I do a lot of talks and, I'll, and, and, you know, I'll ask questions like, you know, who's heard of this thinker? Who's heard of that thinker, right? Does anybody go back and read Jim Highsmith's stuff? Like, I don't know, right? I, don't, I doubt it because when I ask, like, have you guys read any of this stuff? People don't know, like, what the DSDM consortium is. They don't understand, like, what feature-driven development is. You know, they don't understand, you know, the early stuff that was happening. And because, because it's been presented to them as do this process and the magic will happen, what they, that's what they believe, right? And we're experiencing this in terms of, like, as we try to recruit talent into leading Agile, 
you know, we have a lot of people that present as <clears throat> experts in Agile, and they might very well know how to do safe, or they might very well know how to do scrum. But when confronted with, hey, here's this organizational dysfunction, hey, here's this problem, how would you apply these concepts in a situationally specific way? Like if you don't have the ability to wind back to the core of like what really makes this stuff work and what really makes the underlying patterns go, then what starts to happen is that you, you naively um, promote the practices that you were taught, right? Because you were taught that if you just do this stuff, you'll, it'll work. And then, and then it goes one step further where if it's not working, then the, the client gets blamed because they didn't do the stuff right. And, and so, and so where I think we've gotten to, right, is, is this idea of the agile industrial complex is, is promulgating this myth that if you do these sets of practices this way all the time with rigor and discipline, then, um, then it'll work. So can right, I can I lead to the second clause of imposing stuff on teams? So I want to I want to <clears throat> ask a question about this. So Shoot. the way yeah. that the thing is is structured, the way that it's set up, and kind of the way that you're talking about it, um, it sounds like the blame would fall on the collective agile industrial complex. And there's a part of me that's thinking, well, they're just providing what people are asking for. And maybe maybe the world yeah. needs to be taught to ask smarter questions. But, you know, when you were just talking to that stuff about not yeah. having kind of the background, when the thing didn't work, that to me would be the part where I would be like, OK, let's go figure out where retrospectives come from and why we do it. Because the thing that we're doing, we built the bamboo plane. It doesn't fly. Why? Um, but I don't know if out of the gate I would feel compelled to go figure out what all that stuff is is too much. I mean, how would you know yeah. what to look for? Well, well, yeah, right. So it's hard, right? And so like, like a lot of times, like when I do when I did my talk a couple weeks ago at Agile 2018, um, about transformation, you know, one of the things that I talk a little bit about is the idea of like reference architecture versus reference implementation. Right. And what I'll, I'll make the case of is that, you know, every methodology that exists um, worked for somebody at some point in time, you know, and then somebody got the idea that, hey, if we do these things, um, you know, it's repeatable. And then they take it and they package it up and they sell it as a methodology or they sell it as a certification and they write articles and blogs and things like that about it. Right. And so people pick that up and they go, um, you know, this is, this is the way, right. Because it, it worked for so-and-so and, but, but the, the interesting thing, right. The, the, the reality is, is that there is a truth underneath right so <clears throat> if it worked it worked because they formed teams and those teams operated off of clear backlogs and they were able to produce a working tested increment and there was some sort of way of coordinating activity across multiple teams so that they could release iteratively and incrementally across um, a larger ecosystem and that they were you know that they were able to balance that delivery and manage the expectations of the business right so there's some patterns underneath all of the methodologies. And so, and so I think those patterns are universal and they're true. The implementation, um, its truth is situationally specific. So, so what I tell people is I say, look, if you, if you want to adopt SAFE, you have to understand the conditions in which SAFE was created to work within. If you want to do Scrum, you have to understand the 
conditions that Scrum was was created to work within. And you have you have one of two choices, right? You either you either change the ecosystem to accommodate the methodology, or you change the methodology to accommodate the ecosystem. Okay. Okay. And so and so it's so it's 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 this it's an interesting nuance in between kind of like the lines of what um, Martin Fowler is talking about. So it's like it's like we don't want to impose practices on teams that aren't going to work for that team and their ecosystem. Right. Um, we want to let those teams select the things that are going to work for them. That said, on as you step outside of that, I believe it's inarguable that there are fundamental patterns that that work, right? So I wouldn't I wouldn't for a moment hire a development team and allow them to self-organize into to large um, vertically segmented silos of people and do large batch handoffs with late delivery mitigating risk, you know, or sending risk all the way to the end of the project. Right. Like late testing strategies, right? All that kind of stuff. Like there's just no universe in which I would let that happen. Okay. Right. So, so we actually have a couple of developers that work within leading agile, not, you know, it's no, no scale at all, but, but like, I don't care if they do daily standups, I don't care what level they meet, like how they do retrospect. Like, I don't care any of that. Right. I don't mandate anything, but I do, I do ask them to show progress every couple of days and to be able to, and to keep the software working all the time. Okay. You know, I do basically tell them like, look, right. Not having, you know, not having, you know, test harnesses and continuous integration, continuous deployment, right? All that stuff, like that's not acceptable. But like how they actually do it, I don't care. Okay. Right? So so there's this thing in between, right? It's so if we say that we don't want to impose stuff on teams, what we're what we're really saying is like, I don't want to impose practices on teams. But the other side of that isn't like, well, I'm just going to let them figure out everything. But you do want to impose you know? something. I mean, there is something that mm. it, the thing that I'm really stuck on is that for what Martin Fowler is talking about to work, if we just let them go figure out and do whatever they want, then the people that are leading that team or that are part of that team have to be people like Fowler or Jeff Sutherland or Alistair <clears throat> Coburn. And most people aren't like that. If they were, yeah. the world would be a completely well, different place. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so you impose, I, I say, you want to impose that drive and that intrinsic, you know, push to, to like, let's become something amazing, but most people just want a cheeseburger. Yeah. So, well, okay. So, okay. So, so there, there that's a food like reference. An, yeah. You, yeah. You just made an interesting <laughs> kind of like middle nuance thing, right? Yeah. So, so, um, there's a tendency when people are not engaged to or or not experts or don't understand right to say this is the way you do it do it this way all the time yeah okay and what you just highlighted is that if you have a team of deep systems thinking experts who understand the nuances of this stuff and the language and all that kind of a thing or who are just driven to find it or are driven to find it sure um then, then, then you probably don't have to give those people very many constraints at all. Right, they're going to go figure it out okay. either way. Yeah. So, but I think, it, but and, and again, right? I think I'm I'm adding to your point. But but most of it is in the middle. 
right? And so, but so, so our general approach, right, the way I think about it, and this is what we do within our, our company too, and that might be worth talking about here in a second, is there are, there is a basic reference architecture, right? The way you form teams, what you form teams around, how backlogs, um, like the attributes of the backlog, the ability to get the validatable increment of the software at the end of the sprint, right? There's some patterns for how work should flow through the system at higher levels of scale. There's some patterns for what um, portfolio management should look like at, at the highest levels of scale, investment decisioning, things like that. And I think that those things need to be designed um, and I would even suggest imposed. Yeah. Right. But within that framework, like once we create an encapsulated team that is operating off of a backlog that has the necessary infrastructure to be able to um, produce that working tested increment of software, then within that container, the team should be able to decide how they work. Well, do you, do you think that once the team you understands that, that container and why it's there and what it does, that when they decide, screw the container, that if they've reached a level of maturity that they can maybe, actually break the rule? Maybe, maybe, maybe not, right? Okay. Because, because you know, it, it depends upon the nature of the organization. Like, like I've taken my development team and I've taken my consulting team and, and, I've, and I've pointed them at a specific problem to solve. Okay. So if I say, <clears throat> if I say, here team, this is the highest business value thing that I want you to work on. I'm going to, I'm going to, this is how we're going to feed work into you. You guys can operate with autonomously, autonomously within the container. And this is how we're going to, where this is how we're going to expect to measure progress on the backside. Yeah. Right? Within, within those boundaries, then the team gets to decide. Now, does the team get to unilaterally decide to point themselves at a different problem because they think that's the most important thing? No. Maybe, maybe not, right? It depends okay. upon if you're in an R&D environment or if you're, you know, if you're under contract to deliver something specific. Okay. Right? I mean, we get into that situation with clients a lot too, right? Where the client wants to solve a specific problem and we write an SOW to work with a certain set of group of people and to, to deliver an outcome within a certain period of time. And, and occasionally we'll get, you know, some of our consultants that will decide to start sniffing down a different path and want to, and want to go solve something else that they believe is higher value. Right. And, and by all means, they're able to suggest that to the client, create an offer, talk to their leadership within leading agile. We can, we can decide that, right. But within the contract boundaries that, that we've agreed to, and with the problem that the customer's willing to fund and to solve, that team doesn't have the autonomy to point themselves at a different problem. Sure. They just don't. Right. And so, and so, it, and it's it's weird, right? Because it's like when you have this conversation, it's not either or, right? It's like it's like the teams need to be able to decide how to do the work within their container, within their mandate, right? But they don't necessarily get to change their container and con and change their mandate. So, I want to try to tie the two things back together and see okay. if I'm if I'm tracking with this right. So. The, the idea of the agile industrial complex is not inherently bad. And the idea of imposing or offering guidance about practices is not inherently bad. But when people don't know why they're doing this stuff and they're just kind of going through the motions, then that's bad because they don't understand the intention behind it. And that's leading me to this question of, can the agile industrial complex 
go about the business of inspiring people to become the ones who are chasing down and reading all the stuff that you've read and everything else because they're just driven to know how it works as opposed to march 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 maybe right so so here's where i think the agile industrial complex and the idea of imposing stuff on teams really kind of the rubber meets the road right is that there, there are consultancies out there that see a marketing opportunity or an, a market opportunity to provide a service to a customer. And so what you have is you have, you have salespeople that don't fundamentally understand the problem, selling things to buyers that don't fundamentally understand the problem. And then we send coaches who okay. don't understand what they're well, doing. Sending coaches <laughs> in don't fundamentally understand the problem. Right. So if you so if you look at it, right, the it's like every like I'm not saying like and I don't think I don't even know that Martin Fowler's saying obviously I don't know what Martin Fowler's saying. I'm just reading his words, but like I don't think anybody's saying that people are necessarily low integrity or that they're trying to um, economically take advantage of people. It's just, it's, it's ignorance, right? It's like, if, if I don't fundamentally understand and the buyer doesn't fundamentally understand, and then you take people that have bought this, this notional idea that, you know, if I do safe by the book, then everything will work. It's like, everybody's complicit in the problem. The but seller, don't you have to go buyer, through that sophomoric level of understanding to get beyond that? I mean, isn't that part of the learning process? Yeah, but I don't think that's what's going to happen in, in practice, right? Okay. Um, you know, what I think is going to happen in practice is that is that the the agile stuff is going to get so diluted that that people are going to go and and this is probably where the the last next thing you're talking about this idea of post agile, like what is post agile? Because what they're going to do is they're going to say, this is going to be their experience. This isn't the truth, but this is going to be their experience. You know, I went and hired the best brand name consultancy that I could possibly hire. They put their best people on the, on the problem to do Agile, to install Agile for us. We tried to do everything they said they were going to, they were going to do, and it didn't work. And people are going to go, well, Agile doesn't work, right? So right. we need to figure out the next thing. Okay, and and I would agree, right? Agile done the way that they did Agile probably didn't work. Didn't work. Yeah, it right? didn't work. Right, it didn't work. Right, because you can't walk in and and apply safe or Scrum or less into a context where that is not set up for it. Right, it's right. incongruent. Right, the operating model of the company is incongruent with the practices that you're introducing, and the only answer to that question is adapt. The, the practices and the methodology to the ecosystem or or, the or change the ecosystem yeah. to accommodate the, the methodology, right? That's the only thing you can do. And so <clears throat> that's the reason why, like, I'm running around saying all the time, this is the story I'm telling, right? Reference architecture, reference implementation. I'm, I guarantee you, I, I say guarantee, I, I obviously, um, I have no crystal ball, but I would, <laughs> I would, I would place a significant financial bet on the idea that whatever is post agile yeah will involve agile. small complete cross functional yeah. teams <laughs> it will involve breaking work into small batches yeah it will involve you know getting to some sort of definition of done being able to measure progress continuous integration continuous in deployment continuous testing continue like like it's not going to go backwards from that 
we're not going to go back to large fat well, silos. I guess if we could it's take all happen, all right? the stuff you just talked about and put in a yeah. Gantt chart with predecessor relationships again, I'd be all for that. I'd be, I'd be up on that in well, a second. Well, you know, it's really funny, right? It, it, you know, you joke about that, but one of the earliest talks that I did was um, was around like this agile PMP stuff, <clears throat> and I absolutely believe, right? If you were breaking down work um, in such a way that you know, you were organizing into releases and releases into sprints and sprints with um, deliveries within the sprint. I think there's a you could actually put a lot of the agile stuff that we do into a Gantt chart. Yeah. Um, if anybody is listening is familiar with our, our Basecamp model, I mean, that's largely kind of what you're doing in a Basecamp 1, Basecamp 2 kind of implementation. Right. You're doing team based iterative and incremental delivery, but you're doing rolling wave planning and progressive elaboration at the program and portfolio level. And so you're creating optionality in your delivery cycle, but you're not really you're not really as adaptive as you want to be because you're operating within a set of constraints that the organization has put in place, right? Yeah. So it yeah. So it's like it, it it's just it's just absolutely fascinating too, right? And 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 again, just getting I guess back to the core point is is I think as an industry we we have forgotten why this stuff works. We have reduced it down to a a simple or even not so simple set of rules and practices. Right. And because we don't understand, um, like the depth of the reference architectures and the patterns and the whys and the hows and the methods of interaction, all the principles and everything of operation. Yeah. Right. All we can do is say, do it this way. And if you violate these principles, it's not going to work. And it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because you, you have to violate the principles in order to deliver anything in these broken ecosystems. And so therefore, then you get this, this complicit, plausible deniability kind of a thing where the consultancy comes in and says, if you do A, B, and C, X, Y, and Z, then it'll work. But it's absolutely impossible to get it work done doing A, B, C, X, Y, Z given the broken ecosystem. So the, 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 the people trying to do and deliver the work point at the consultancy and the consultancy points the client and everybody says, Oh, it must be right. Yeah. It's somebody else's fault. And, and again, right. Without understanding those fundamental patterns, we have a lot of, just get a lot of dysfunction. So, so then I want to try to, tie it together but i want to go back to the industrial complex i i can't think of any argument against imposing some basic practices because we know these things are Be like so well, base, I, base, what I, I don't want to say practices okay. right because guidelines your practices they say daily stand-ups right okay well what do you want to call them um um organizational patterns okay so, so there's things that we know help mm-hmm. yeah um but i'm coming back to the complex then there's people out there that that they just want the formula. Just show me what to do. I'm going to put my people through it because because they just really don't care. They're not invested. They just want to write a check, give me some money. And there's companies out there that are going to take it. And those are the people that are hiring the agile industrial complex. Absolutely. Right, right. So, yeah. do you think that the agile industrial complex needs to be more mindful? I mean, does there need to be some way that they they kind of take a look in the mirror and say, hey, we're actually just serving up junk food like we're mcdonald's now we should well, give them yeah, better food but but you have to realize right i mean it's like i mean we know a lot of the people that are playing in this space and and for the most part i think they're all really good high integrity people that are doing what they believe is right 
you know, it's a little bit like, it's a little bit like, um, you know, you know, there's, you know, we, we talk about this a lot. I talk about it in my talks, this notional idea of, well, I'm going to train you on how to do scrum and then scrum's going to show you your impediments. And then, then, you know, you'll work to overcome those impediments, right? That's that, that's the kind of the tagline, right? Yeah. yeah. Theoretically. Right. And so, so what, you know, so what people are saying is that, look, I'm, I'm here to teach you how to do this. I'm telling you up front that the that you're going to encounter impediments. Um, it's going to be up to you to fight through to remove the impediments. Yeah. Like like occasionally we get involved as leading agile in like what would I consider a pure play training deal. And the only way that I've wrapped my head around selling training is to basically say, look, training is skills transfer. It's we're going to teach you how to do scrum. If you want to learn how to do scrum. We will teach you how to do Scrum, but let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to encounter pediments that are beyond the scope of the team to solve. Right. So if you don't have um, leadership engagement, you don't have um, a transformation steering committee, right? You're not systematically working and making investments as an organization to, to remove the impediments that the Scrum teams find. This training is going to fall really flat and you're not going to get the value out of it. But it could be a starting point, right? It could be a catalyst. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so, but what's happening, right, is I think a lot of people are in very good faith um, going into market and they're, they're, they're maybe, maybe they're not as explicit as I am around this, but they're, but they're saying, look, we'll train you. You're going to have to remove these impediments. But like nobody actually really understood kind of the shit show that they were going to walk into right. and how hard these impediments. So last, I guess it was 2017, um, the flavor of my talk was the executive's guide to leading large-scale transformation. And one of the big points that I was trying to make in that talk is like, look, you know, the, the impediments that we're going to encounter are understood, right? This isn't like you just start doing scrum, figure it out as you go, stub your toe, stub your toe, stub your toe, and then, you know, just remove impediments as you find them. Right. It doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. We know the impediments right? that we, are going to show we up know already. The yeah. Right. Now, granted, there's going to be some local instantiations and some, some things that are unique to every client or nuances of this and that, but 80, 90% of the kinds of things that we're going to encounter, we know. Yeah. Right. So, so rather than say, um, let me sell you a million dollars worth of training and then leave you to stub your toe. Right. So look, this is what I'm going to, we're going to train you. Yeah. And and here's the litany of things that you're going to encounter um, as you and you can predict it. Yeah. I mean, we've been in situations at this point, we're working with two clients specifically right now that we did initial engagements with. Right. We did some initial discovery, some initial training, some initial consulting. Um, they got to a point. We said, look, this is what's going to happen from here on out. They go, oh, no, that's too big, too complex, too whatever. We don't want <laughs> And we said, okay, that's Too cool, ugly. right? Yeah. And we back up, we back off for a year and a half, and you know, they call us back up and they say, every single thing that you said was going to happen <laughs> actually happened. And you're right? like, no. I, well, well, yeah, right. But I mean, you have to be generous and kind, yeah. right? Because sometimes people have to learn things for themselves, right? And yeah. that's the process. But the initial engagement, right, helped them see, right, what they needed to go do, right? They went and tried it. Everything that we knew would happen happened, and, and that's this and is the part it, where the complex they just helped to solve, right? Yeah, this is the part where the complex I don't think is necessarily bad because even if we're spoon feeding them some stuff, that's the first step. 
And when they well, realize this doesn't work, then they come back for more, and then we can yeah, really fix the problem. Well, true, right? It's true. I, I think as long as as long as you're high integrity about how you tell the story, okay, right? That's the key, right? Because because if you're, I mean, the only thing that makes what these, you know, like again, these two examples that I that I referenced, the only thing that made the two of those things work is that one, we were willing to walk away, yeah, and and two, we told them the truth and we told them this is what was going to happen. Yeah. So like you're willing to walk away from a deal or you're not willing to sell them the next thing because, or, 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 or you've told so much of the truth. They don't want to buy the next thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and then when they experience from themselves, right, that creates, that creates the connection Yeah. where, where, where I think, you know, again, right. And, and who knows who's in the agile industrial complex, but if you just think of it as a, as a meme and kind of the sense of, of Fowler's article, right. right? I think I, getting back to what we talked about, I think we have people that don't really understand the problem selling services that they don't really fundamentally understand to clients who don't really understand being delivered by sometimes people that don't really understand. Yeah. And, and what happens in that process is that everybody gets cynical and somebody gets a Tesla in there somewhere. Well, (laughs) I'm joking. Right. Right. No, but (laughs) it's true. Right. Because it's like, I mean, don't, I mean, at the end of the day, these, you know, the, the people running consultancies are businesses. Right. Yeah. Yeah. uh, yeah, So, and everybody's trying to hit their bonus goals in the companies. And sometimes the bonus goal is just getting, you know, so, so again, right. The, the dysfunction runs deep. You know, one of the things that, that I've been thinking about, um, and this is a, a total aside as well, it's amazing. Anything in this world gets done. You know, I mean, it's like people are so complex. We all have so much baggage, right? We're all trying to locally optimize in our own way. Like, I, like it just blows me away. My lights turn on when I flip a switch in my house. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's so, an amazing world. So, you know, I have, I have very, you know, there's days where it's, it gets a little bit like what you were, like I think what you were pointing at. You know, there's days where, <clears throat> you know, you feel like you're fighting a good fight. And, you know, you're doing the best you can. And, you know, if nothing else, you know, generationally, if we educate a generation of people that big batches and um, handoffs across companies don't work and that we need to fundamentally um, create small operating units that have autonomy to move. Yeah. And then if, if that's a generational shift. That's a positive thing. Probably doing good work, right? Yeah. At the end of the day. Um, does that mean that any one company's problem is ever going to be solved? Right. I don't know. Um, but I, but I, again, I, I think this is a, I think this is a fundamental problem. I, I don't know quite how to solve it, but as practitioners, right. Anybody who's listening to this, it's like, you've got to go back 15 years, right. You got to go back 20 years and you got to start exploring the, the underlying source patterns and and some of the source material because i think it's going to be a shame when we go post agile and it's inevitable right and and because what's going to happen is that we're going to come up with some new packaging of the same thing and we've already got that coming out i mean well it's going to fundamentally fail for the yeah i I think about like you know i hear the buzzword digital transformation is kind of the big thing and you know well, we're not doing agile, we're doing DevOps. I mean, like, what does that even mean yeah. you know, in the scheme of things, right? Um, you know, because it all works together, right? It's, it's, it's the blind man and the elephant story, right? I mean, we're all, we're all touching different pieces of the same story. I think we should and put together anyway, a source yeah. material guide, maybe, 
for everybody. You know what? That that actually might not be a bad idea, right? A guide to the original source material and what are the original concepts that you really need to think about. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely, man. I feel really fortunate. You know, before that, I felt fortunate that, you know, I got into I got into computers back in the DOS days and networking back in, you know, some of the early days of networking. And, and you know, it helped me understand. Back in on two? <clears throat> yeah. Well, no, gosh, this is back in what would have been. I know. You can't say aught in like, you know, 84. It doesn't like work. Like 92. Like, yeah. like, I guess it was probably like, yeah, like 90, 89, 90. You know, getting old. Before that. Uh, yeah. Well, no, take I graduated high school in 88, got my first okay. co-op job like in 1991. And that's when I kind of started learning all that stuff. And, okay. you know, and, and, you know, you know, almost 30 years later, it, you know, helps me, you know, helps me understand like what's going on in my house when like my thermostat doesn't work, you know, <laughs> but it's like, I, I, but I no, but you know, it's actually not a bad, it's not a bad analogy, right? It's like, how do you, how do you fundamentally troubleshoot an addressable IP device in an internet of things world, if you don't fundamentally understand just a little bit about how networking addressing works and DHCP works and that kind of stuff. <laughs> and this is why you, I can't fix toilets. Right? Yeah, yeah, you I, don't, right? I, I know the IP stuff. I don't know how to fix a toilet. I don't know the well, source yeah. of that. Well, I can actually even fix it. Like, I, I, you know, normally I would call a plumber, but like, but like, but like, if you understand the principles of things, a lot of times you can you can apply them, right? Yeah. And I think it's a little bit like the difference between a computer science degree and learning how to program Java. Um, you know, back when I was at a, in, a, in computer science, again, right, back in 88 to 93, um, you know, they didn't teach us languages. We had to just learn languages on our own, right? What they taught us were, were fundamental principles of how languages work, fundamental principles of computer science. So that as languages evolved, you understood the fundamentals of memory management, or you understood the fundamentals of linked lists, or you understood the fundamentals of a recursive descent parser, or how an operating system worked, and like all these kinds of things. And it's like, I think we've got a lot of people probably now today that, that know how to program Java, but don't understand how, how that software interacts with the microprocessor or something Yeah, like they that. don't know how to think through it the right yeah. way. Yeah. So it just gets abstracted and abstracted and abstracted and abstracted. And I think to some degree, you know, in the agile world, we've abstracted things to such a high level that we've got a lot of practitioners that know how to do the basics and they're knowledgeable, um, but they don't know how to, they don't know how to make the underlying ecosystem work. Like the script kitties. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's just, it's just fascinating, right? It's fascinating. Um, and they yeah, should all so get off your lawn. Yes, exactly. That's what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> I don't right. know if that was insightful or not. No, this was great. Was this was like, really cool. Yeah. Um, and hopefully maybe we'll get Martin to, to respond to it as well. I'll reach out to him and see if they'll listen to it. Um, cool. So what are you going to do with the rest of your Labor Day? So got to go to the gym. Okay. Um, I'm trying to get myself in shape. I'm wearing kind of like a nice little, like we're in an easy spot in Leading Agile right now. And so focusing on eating right, um, not drinking, um, going to the gym, trying to get healthy. I'm down like 25 pounds. So I'm kind awesome. of excited. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So anyway, so going to the gym and then um, having some people over this afternoon and we're going to grill some burgers and maybe hit the like, that kind of a thing. How about you? Cool. Oh, you're on an airplane. I'm going on an airplane. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> Yay. Very cool. Yay. But... <laughs> Yay. The life of a traveling consultant, right? Exactly. All yeah, right. Well, cool. Thanks for taking time. Today hey, thanks, man. Have a good rest of the day and happy Labor Day. Okay, man. You too. Thanks. See you. Bye.